Amen. Thank you, choir. He does reign upon his throne. Amen. Good to see you this morning. Take your Bibles, if you will. And we'll continue looking at this series on the goodness of God as we look in the first few chapters of Genesis. If you have your Bibles, we're going to look today in Genesis chapter 3. If you didn't bring a Bible with you, we have some in the pew, or you might be able to use your phone or whatever other device you may have. I know a lot of folks use those now and looking at the Scriptures. But uh, we're going to look in Genesis chapter 3. Uh, beginning in verses 1 through 5, one of the greatest books, many think, on the nature of God was written by Stephen uh, Carnock, or Charnock. His, uh, his book is entitled The Attributes of God, but I wanted to quote to you a statement in this book. In the book, he observes that the fountain of evil practices is a denial or doubting of some of the rights of his, that is God's nature. In short, when people challenge God's goodness, or deny his purity, they become polluted in soul and body. So we look at this passage of scripture this morning, we're going to see how God has already, we've already looked at this, that God has shown his goodness in his creation, because everything that God made, God said was good, and we know goodness comes from good, and so God said everything was good when he made us, he said everything was very good, and, and we know this comes from a good God. And then also we saw his goodness in the garden, his making of the garden that we looked at last time where God provided special provisions uh, for those who he had created in his image as well as all of the creatures that he had made. And so a wonderful place of fellowship, a wonderful place of provision, all of which God made out of his goodness. And then of course uh, today we're going to be looking at that goodness challenged. We're going to look at the first challenge to the goodness of God. You see we're living in a day and time where the goodness of God is always being challenged. It's not just being challenged by those outside the church and outside the faith. It's actually being challenged from many within churches. And so as we're going to look at this passage of Scripture this morning, I hope it'll become clear to you in some of the ways that the goodness of God is, was challenged in the beginning and has been and continues to be challenged even today. And one of the reasons we need to look at that challenge is because many times we are tempted to challenge the goodness of God on the same basis. And we need to be careful because that challenge is always around us, before us, and sometimes within us. Let's look together in Genesis chapter 3. Look at these verses for just a few moments. Verses 1 through 5. God's word says, Now the serpent was more shrewd than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Is it really true that God said, You must not eat from any tree of the orchard? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit from the trees of the orchard, but concerning the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the orchard, God said, You must not eat from it. You must not touch it, or else you will die. The serpent said to the woman, Surely you will not die. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like divine beings who know good and evil. Let's pray. Father, we praise you, and we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to examine it together. We ask, Lord, that it will be your Holy Spirit who will be our teacher, our guide, who will give us wisdom and insight and understanding. But more also, Lord, that you will speak to our hearts concerning where we are in our walk of faith and, Lord, particularly where we are in our relationship and fellowship with you. If there's someone here today, Lord, who doesn't know you as personal Lord and Savior through your Son, Jesus, I pray, Lord, today that would be those 
who by faith would understand that your great goodness was ultimately shown on a cross as well as your love. And that, Lord, today they would come to a saving faith in Jesus. I pray, Lord, for those who have recently made professions of faith, maybe they need to make that public. Lord, maybe they need to be obedient in the waters of believers' baptism. Perhaps, Lord, there's some here today who need to be obedient in the place where you would have them become part of the family of faith and to serve you and your kingdom through the local church. But, Lord, whatever it may be, whatever you would have us to do today, even if it's to just reaffirming your lordship in our life, which we need to do, Lord, every day, then, Lord, may these commitments, may these decisions be made today for your glory. Well, Lord, now speak to us as we examine together what you yourself have caused to be written that we might hear what you are, and that is you are a good God. Lord, you're good all the time, and all the time you're good. And we praise you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look at this passage of Scripture this morning, several things what I'd like for you to consider with me. First off, notice that the, that the goodness of God, God's goodness is first challenged by the serpent. Now we know who the serpent is. We read later on in the book of Revelation in chapter 12 that the serpent was Satan. Now we've got a lot of people who want to write a lot of commentaries and debate about whether the serpent was actually Satan or not. Let me just put your mind at ease. The Bible says the serpent is the devil. The serpent is Satan. So we don't have to worry about that. We know who it is. We know who he came in the guise of a serpent. We know that uh, as he came, he came for a specific purpose. Now, the serpent was a creature made by God, an unusual creature at that. In fact, the Bible tells us he had some unusual qualities that distinguished him among all the other creatures that, were, that God had made. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture, we first encounter the serpent. And it was the serpent who first challenged the goodness of God. Now, the way the Hebrew constructs the sentence and the way it's, it's written in Hebrew that means the emphasis of this is on the serpent. That is to say, the emphasis is on uh, the one who came to challenge the goodness of God. And we see that uh, he possessed uh, superior knowledge, perhaps to the other creatures. He, all, he knew about God's instructions and had come to twist and distort that. Uh, he knew that those instructions had been given to Adam and Eve, and so that's why he came to Eve. Uh, he used the psychology of enticement, which again tells us of his intellect. So, so we know the serpent was an unusual creature, and we're told that the serpent was crafty uh, as well, possessed the power of communication beyond perhaps what other creatures had. But, but for whatever reason, and, and a lot of people will debate this, whether or not Satan came alongside and just used the serpent, or whether the serpent was a special manifestation of, of Satan himself, because Satan is able to come as an angel of light. He is able to represent himself and various ways. Whatever it was that happened, we know that the serpent was in fact equated with Satan. And so as we look at this, we see he has all the elements of a personality. We see he has mental reasoning. We have, he has volitional choice as we see later in verse 14. So I really believe as we look at this passage of scripture, it's just good for us to understand that this is the first encounter that mankind ever had with the enemy that you and I still have as an enemy. And that's Satan. Understand that the Bible, throughout the Bible, speaks about Satan. Jesus talked about Satan. He was tempted by Satan, but he also spoke of him, as well as other biblical writers. So for those people who come to me from time to time and say, Preacher, do you really believe in a devil? I mean, you know, we are in modern times. Do you really believe in, in a devil? Absolutely. There is an entity, a creature called Satan. At one time, he was Lucifer, but he fell and became Satan, became the devil. He's, in fact, he's known by, to us in a lot of ways uh, with a lot of names. Um, he's called the evil 
uh, uh, he is an evil spirit. Uh, he is uh, the enemy. He's the father of lies. Uh, he's a murderer from the beginning. He's the power of darkness. He's the prince of this world. He's the power of the air. He's the tempter. He's unclean spirit. He's the god of this world. Uh, he's described as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. All these are attributes of an actual being who is our enemy. And we need to know this. But beyond that, we have those that, that listen to Satan. They're, I call them his minions. Everybody likes minions now. I don't, you know, everybody's got children and been watching these, uh, uh, whatever that movie is, it's got all these little one-eyed and two-eyed, goggle-eyed, whatever they are, little yellow creatures. I love those things, by the way. I need some minions. I really do. But minions, Satan has them. And they're called demons. They're evil spirits. And so, you know, our enemy, if you want to know the truth of it, is there's probably hardly any of us that warrant an actual visitation of Satan himself. We give Satan far too more credit than he deserves because he's not like God. He's not even close to being God. He, he cannot be everywhere at one time. And everybody keeps saying, well, Satan made me do this. Satan made me do that. Well, folks, he ain't, he ain't going to all of us. He's, but he has those evil spirits. He has a lot of that which answers to him. These, as the Apostle Paul wrote, uh, we wrestle against uh, unseen forces not against flesh and blood and they're in all different ways manifest themselves in different ways and and so yes you need to understand that the first challenge to the goodness of God was done by Satan uh, being the more crafty of all the animals that the Lord God had made and by the way this is interesting too in the Hebrew if you look at it the word crafty in Hebrew and the word naked in Hebrew they're almost identical they're very close it's interesting because what happened was as a result of what the serpent did um, Adam and Eve uh, were naked without shame, but the craftiness of the serpent tempted them to sin, and their sin caused them to become ashamed of their nakedness. In other words, this is the correlation that, the, that uh, God is putting together with what happened, all because of this challenge to the goodness of God. And the serpent challenged the goodness of God, and he still challenges the goodness of God today, and he uses many different ways to do that, just as he did with Eve, and just as he did and has done throughout the Bible. He appears, as Paul says, as an angel of light, but yet he's the prince of darkness. Jesus said he was a liar and the father of all lies. Jesus said he was a murderer from the beginning, and he is the tempter. So we know he is capable of all these things, and what you and I need to do as Christians is to be reminded that every day we need to put on the armor of God. Every day we face an enemy, and we never know when that will be the enemy we face or whether it's one of his minions or whatever, but the point is... There will always be a challenge to the goodness of God from these evil forces. In fact, the problem is that many people don't believe in the existence of either the serpent, they don't understand or grasp the true nature of Satan. These people kind of remind me of a boxer I read about one time. He was being badly beaten in a fight, and he was all battered and bruised, and he leaned over the ropes, and he looked at his trainer, and he said, throw in the towel, this guy is killing me. And the trainer said, oh, no, he's not. He's not even hitting you. He hasn't laid a glove on you. The boxer wiped the blood from his eye and said, well, then I wish you'd watch that referee. Somebody sure hitting me. Well, sometimes in life we feel like that. We feel like somebody's hitting us. Who's hitting us? Well, we know we have an enemy who is one who challenges the goodness of God. And, and folks, somebody will always be hitting on us. I look forward to that day when that enemy will be vanquished. He's already been defeated, but he hadn't yet been vanquished. You see, he was defeated when Jesus came forth from the grave. 
when Jesus was crucified, buried, and rose from the grave, the enemy was defeated. And I hope for your sake you choose the winning side. That's Jesus. But for right now, he's not yet been vanquished. And so we're still struggling against the power of temptation. And oftentimes it comes from demonic and evil forces. So you need to know there's an evil entity and an evil personality and also personalities out there that will do everything they can to challenge the goodness of God in your heart and your mind. Well, let's move on. There's a second challenge to the goodness of God here we see in this passage of Scripture, and that is God's goodness being challenged by deception. You see, this serpent was going to deceive and already knew how to do it. It's interesting that the first person that we read about being deceived is Eve, and as she is being deceived, Satan pulls out uh, his very best tools to do so. Notice he puts doubt in the mind of Eve about God's word. And by the way, that is the first and most critical way in which we are deceived and in which we will sin. We, are, we have that which is either of our own mind or of the world or of Satan or of demonic forces, but that will question the word of God. You see, if Christians and believers don't nail down the fact that the Bible is the word of God, that is absolutely inerrant, it's infallible, it's inspired, it is without error, any mixture of error, it is our sole authority for faith and practice in our life. If we don't nail that down, then everything else starts going wrong and we listen to deception. And so as we look at this passage of Scripture, notice several of the ways the serpent deceived. First off, he deceived through distortion. You see, he first asked, is it really true that God said you must not eat from any tree of the garden. Now the reality is God had said you could eat from all the trees of the garden except one. Satan turned it around and said, is it true God said you couldn't eat any of it? Well, God hadn't said anything like that. But already the question puts doubt in the mind of Eve about the word of God. Because God had not forbid the eating of any of the trees, just one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, of course... Eve responds, we may eat of the fruit from the trees of the garden, but concerning that tree that's in the middle, God said you must not eat from it nor touch it. Now Eve does something on the other side of the panel. God had said you're not to eat of the tree. Eve says, God said not eat it and not touch it. God hadn't said not touch it. It's a good thing not to touch it because touching it meant you were too close to it. But Eve added to the word of God. There's one thing about the Word of God that's wrong, and that is to subtract from the Word of God or distort what God's Word says. It's also bad to add to that as well. We're not to add to what God has written in His Word. We look at what God's Word, but there's a lot of people today who want to add things when it comes to salvation, want to add things when it comes to what God expects in terms of life and conduct. We've got a lot of folks out there who keep adding rules and rules. This is what the Pharisees did. This is what they did in, in Jesus' day. They had written so many laws, so many rules that weren't even in the Bible, but they had added rule after rule after rule that they put so much burden on, on the people that Jesus called their hand on it. Must be very careful what we do with the Scriptures, what it says and what it means. Well, he not only deceived through distortion, but he deceived through lie because as soon as she said, we must not eat from it, or else we'll die. The serpent in verse 4 just blatantly says, you will not die. Now we've gone from distortion to an outright lie. And folks, there again, there are people today, even in churches, who will give an outright lie concerning what God's Word says. And God's Word is plain. 
We understand it through the working and the teaching of the Holy Spirit, but let's be clear about this. There are some things that are just very plain. What it says in the Ten Commandments is very plain. What it says about God's uh, standards for morality, what God has to say about uh, how we're to love our neighbors and all these things that Jesus said, the Beatitudes, you can go on and on, look at everything that God has said, Jesus has said, it's all there to see. And yet there are people who will just outright say, well, God didn't really mean that. God didn't really say that. That's, see, that's the thing that a lot of people call into question about the Bible today, and that's challenging the goodness of God. The goodness of God was that he gave us his word. The goodness of God is he gave us a way in which we would know how to live and how to know him and how to respond to him. And yet there are people today who will just outright lie about it. That's a challenge to the goodness of God. That's what Satan did to Eve. And then also through accusation. Notice real quickly what else it said. Notice verse 5. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened. And you'll be like divine beings. In other words, you'll be like the gods. You'll know good and evil. In other words, now he has really questioned the goodness of God, not only in the sense of what God had said and what he didn't say and so forth, but now he's questioning the goodness of God on the fact that God just really doesn't want you to have the kind of life you really should have. How many times do you hear this today about the kind of life that you should have, the kind of life that you could have, and, and there's a lot of promotion today about what you want, what you need, what you should have, because you deserve it. It is for you. And, and so the goodness of God is called into question when we don't have what we want. The goodness of God is called into question when we're not experiencing the kind of life we think we should experience. The goodness of God is called into question when things aren't going the way we think they ought to go, when our circumstances don't, quote, match up to the way we think God should behave with regards to us. In other words, all of this is the same thing that Satan did with Eve. It's the same thing that happens in the mind of believers today. And because of accusations being made against God, God, if he was a good God, he wouldn't let that happen. If God really loved you, this wouldn't happen. In other words, that is the challenge today that Christians have to listen to and be in because the world is constantly questioning the goodness of God. If God were really good, then this would not happen. That would not happen. You would not be going through this. You would not be experiencing that. A good God will give you everything you want. You see, the goodness of God is just as much challenge today as it ever has been, not just through distortion, not even through lies, but through an accusation of God himself. See, this is what Jesus said of the serpent in John chapter 8, verse 44. He said he was a murderer from the beginning. That is to say, when he came to the, to the, um, to the garden, he had one thing in mind. God had said, if they eat from that tree, they'll die. Satan had in mind, if I can get her to eat the fruit, they will die. He was a murderer. He was trying to poison Adam and Eve. And folks, that's still happening today. Maybe not instant physical death, but certainly destruction of a believer's witness, destruction of believer's families, destruction of believer's ability and effectiveness and service, destruction of believers in the way in which they love God and want to serve God and follow God. We see this happen all the time. It happens in churches all the time. It happens all the time where Christians are being destroyed because Satan is a murderer. And so as he spoke with his false authoritative assurance, by the way, you know, it's amazing. Eve didn't say, now just who are you to tell me this? <laughs> 
But Eve didn't question the serpent. She just simply listened. And then she sinned. Again, Jesus said of the serpent in John 8, 44, He abode not in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Please hear me when I tell you this this morning. Truth is pure and with no mixture of error. That's why I believe the Bible is truth. It's God's truth and it does not have any mixture of error. Because when you take truth and mix it with error, you no longer have truth. And even if you had an outright lie, it's a lie. If it's truth mixed with a lie, it's a lie. Only truth that is pure truth is truth. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And Jesus said he spoke the truth. The Word of God is truth. And you and I need to understand that anytime anybody wants to mix something with the Bible and tries to call into question what the Bible has to say, what God has said, they are listening to and following the very same method that Satan used with Eve. And the reality is there is no truth in those who call into question the goodness of God or the Word of God. I read somewhere in uh, some resort town in Arizona that certain hotels or motels, they were spray painting the grass green in the wintertime to lure the tourists because it looked like their place was a lush vacation spot. The only problem is when those first rains came, it washed the paint into the gutters and revealed how false the image of those picture-perfect lawns were when they took the postcards or, or took those ads and stuck them out there for everybody to see. Unfortunately, that's what Satan does to people all the time. They look at something and say, oh, this looks good, but in reality, it's, it's going to bring death. You know, Satan presents himself through false religion. He uh, presents himself and his, his views and, and his lies through false philosophies, through false promise of pleasure in, in terms of sin, and in uh, any other challenge to God, whether it's a challenge to God himself, challenge to his word, challenge to his goodness as the one who's good. When Satan does this, he does it in many different ways. He presents himself as a challenge to the goodness of God. One last thing we'll look at this morning very quickly as we look through this passage of Scripture. God's goodness is also challenged by destruction. You see, just as God's very nature is good, the serpent's nature was evil. And he, he by nature, was destructive. And that's why Jesus called him a murderer from the beginning. Because to compromise with evil is to meet with certain destruction. Have you met, ever met anybody? I'm sure you have, because I have, and I know you have as well. Met somebody who loved to see people get hurt. Who just simply loved to make people cry. Who just simply enjoyed inflicting misery on other people. I mean, we read about this now all the time. When I was growing up, I don't remember reading anything like what I'm reading now. Maybe I just have a bad memory. But I'm reading things of parents doing to children or people doing to other people. I, I just, I just don't, I can't even put my brain around it. I can't understand it. Why? Because it's pure evil. It's demonic what's happening in our world today. Demonic what's happening when, when people are willing to do what they're doing to their children or what they're willing to do with their spouses or what they're willing to do with another person. When, when people are willing to go into a place and just simply kill people and shoot people and maim and massacre people. When we look at these things that are happening today, we understand this is evil. And we look at what's happening in the world and we see what's happening with governments. We see what's happening with people. We see pure evil. 
Years ago, I, pastoring in Mississippi, I invited uh, Bull Bramlett to come speak in, a, in my church at First Baptist Marion, and um, I didn't just invite him to the morning, I invited him tonight. I said, look, you're already going to be here, just preach Sunday morning, Sunday night, our folks will love to hear you. I've been told what a great evangelist he was, and, and uh, I got to the minister's conference Monday morning there in Mississippi, I had some preachers say, I see where you're going to have Bull Bramlett come speak Sunday morning and Sunday night, and I said, yes, he said, they said, um, you might get that resume together. And very few people can handle him just one service, much less two. Well, as it turned out, he did a great job, and, but the thing he did that was unusual was he literally went in the front of every person that was at the church. Here it would take a little while, but he stopped it in front of every person and said, are you saved? Do you need to be saved? During the invitation time. But I'll never forget, he was one of the killer bee de- uh, defense of, of the Miami Dolphins, and uh, he had played football, and, and one of the things he told us was that he loved to hurt people. In fact, he just said he enjoyed it. He, he didn't just want to hit people. He wanted to make sure they'd limp off the field if he could make them limp off the field. That was Bull Bramlett's testimony. Of course, he got saved and became a deacon at Bellevue Baptist Church in, in Memphis, Tennessee, and the Lord got a hold of him. But you could see when he walked, he could barely walk. He was been so hurt, so injured himself in football, he could barely get around. But I thought to myself, he loved to hurt people. And folks, that's exactly the nature of Satan. That's exactly the nature of evil because the goodness of God is challenged by destruction in people's lives. They, serpent didn't want to just disrupt the fellowship that Adam and Eve had with God. He wanted to kill them by getting them to disobey God. He brought death into God's good creation simply by challenging the goodness of God. Now, we got people today don't want to admit to the existence of evil, much less the serpent. They believe if you compromise with evil, if you can find some common ground, that somehow you can avoid danger, somehow you can avoid destruction. Folks, we've seen this happen many times. In history, we saw it happen to European countries just prior to World War II. Tried to compromise with evil. There's no compromising with evil. And we shouldn't do that on a personal basis. There's nothing that a Christian should compromise with when it comes to sin and with evil. Because it brings destruction. And it's a challenge to the goodness of God. Why? Because... God's not willing that any should perish. Let those words sink in for a moment. Hear what I just said. God is not willing that any should perish. That means our God is a good God. He wants the best for you. He's not willing that any should perish. In fact, when Jesus came, as I've said earlier, He said, I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly. You know, it's interesting that Many of these uh, Muslims who are terrorists who have been trying to kill us, these Islamic jihadists, these folks who are on a mission to, to destroy Christians and wipe off Christianity from the planet and install a caliphate and all these things, it's an interesting thing to me that they freely admit that they know that we love life, they love death. That tells you who, what they're about. Make no mistake about it, our God is a good God. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance, and that is to turn to faith in Jesus Christ. You see, the sole reason that God became flesh and dwelt among us and willingly suffered and died on the cross for our sins, was buried and rose from the grave and ascended to heaven, one day is coming again. The whole reason that He went through all of that was so that you and I could be saved and we could have life abundantly, eternally. That's a good God. You see, in order 
to die and go into hell, in order to die and go into eternity, separated from God, separated from loved ones, you have to step over the love of God, step over the goodness of God to get there. Again, Jesus said, and I'm just using his words, that hell was made for the devil and his angels. Notice he didn't say hell was made for the devil, his angels, and evil people. God never intended anybody to go there. He doesn't want anybody to go there. He's made a way so that nobody has to go there. But if we reject or neglect the great salvation that has been offered to us through Jesus Christ, then the writer of Hebrews is exactly right. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Why? Because of God's goodness. The serpent was bad by nature, challenged the goodness of God in every way that he could, in his craftiness, in his first being subtle and then being directly blunt and lying challenging the goodness of God let me ask you a question this morning as we close are are you challenging the goodness of God in your life are you challenging the goodness of God by rejecting Jesus who has shown to us God's love through what he did and his goodness somebody came to Jesus one time and called him good teacher and he said why call us me good there's only one that's good it's God but you see the man had Spoken correctly because Jesus was God. And he was about to demonstrate that goodness on the cross. I plead with you today, if you're here without Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, you don't have the certainty of the fact that you're saved. And I plead with you today that today you reject all the challenges that have been given to you in your life, whether it's challenges given to you through evil and demonic forces that have found all the different ways to communicate to you, whether it's through the world itself, whether it's through your own mind because of things you've listened to and things you've heard. I plead with you today, understand this, nail it down. God is good. Period. The Bible says God is light. Period. God is love. Period. God is truth. Period. Have you accepted that? Is that your testimony today? Can you say today, I have put my faith and my trust in the one who died on the cross for me, who was buried, who rose from the grave, and who can save me? Because if not, I plead with you today, know that God is good and he desires goodness for you because he desires you to be saved. He desires you to have his presence every day. Today, would you accept the great truth that Satan challenged from the beginning? God is good. Let's pray. Father, we praise you and thank you for your word. And Lord, as we've examined this passage, we see where your goodness was challenged. Your word was challenged, which was a reflection of your goodness. Lord, you gave your word so that Adam and Eve would be protected. Lord, I pray that today we'll understand that everything that's in your word today is to protect us, to help us, to save us from ourselves, from our sin, from all the demonic and destructive forces we face in this life, from every challenge that there is. 
And so, Lord, I pray that today there'll be those who will commit themselves to you and by faith believe what your word says about Jesus to be true and maybe as an expression of that faith even today, a willingness to turn from sin and turn to a Savior who will save. They might pray a prayer of faith, something like this. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I can't save myself. The best that I know how, I ask that Jesus would forgive me of my sins, save me, come into my life, be the boss of my life, and help me to live for Jesus. Lord, I pray that there'll be those today who might pray that prayer very, for the very first time. They'd let us know by coming during the invitation, just letting us know, Brother Wally, I prayed that prayer. And I'd like to know more about what I need to do. Lord, there's some who've recently prayed and received Christ. They just need to be obedient and making it known, as Lord, you have told us to confess you before others. Lord, I pray that today there'll be those who'd be obedient, whether it's in baptism or whether it's in church membership, whatever it may be. But Lord, today, may we say yes to you. May we, Lord, just nail it down. You are good. And Lord, you are so good. We know that every good and perfect gift comes from you. Today, Lord, would there be those who would not only believe that, but receive the gift of salvation. Lord, do your great work in this time of invitation. We'll praise you for what you do in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing the hymn.